Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Good morning, Raina. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> good to be back. Or rather, hey, you know, or rather something that I learned um, at one of these gatherings most recently. No, it's not good morning. It's black morning, everybody. Black morning. Yeah. Black morning. <laughs> black morning. Hell yeah. Black morning. So anyway, how you doing, girl? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, we uh, you. you know, I miss you. I miss, well, I don't miss you because I talk to you all the time, but I miss, I miss being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. You see how she slid that shit in, y'all? So, anyway. <laughs> Whatever. You know, we, talk, like, we talk most of the time. You know that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah, yes, we do. And I still miss her. So, it's all good. So, anyway, this is Kim. That's Raina. This is Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We'll say it one more again. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And it's been about a month since I did a show, and it's been so much going on in my life. You know, I wish I could share it. I can't just know that it was all good. It was all good. And so, you know, things are falling in place, right, Raina? Yeah. I mean, yeah, things yeah. things uh things since the last time I talked to you guys, it's been up and down and, and back again, you know, but I'm still in this thing and things are going mostly well. But you know how you know how life life likes to take you for a for a ride sometimes, and you just kind of got to go with it. So we'll see what happens. Right. So exactly. hold on one second, Kim. I um I okay, have, go ahead. you know I got people. You know how people like to bother you when you're doing important things. So I'll be right right back. <laughs> right. No worries, no worries. But yeah, you guys, it's it's been an interesting month, and what I will say is I've met a lot of beautiful people had a couple of fantastic experiences, and, you know, I'm looking forward to the future, looking forward to, you know, life. It's like things are falling in place, and, you know, we're getting everything together on my end as far as my health is concerned, you know. um, You know, we're finally making some inroads, if you will, so I'm really, really happy about that, and, you know, I've met a lot of new people. Like I said, you know, I think this year is going to be glorious the rest of the year. The beginning of the year was fantastic, too. I mean, I, I have absolutely no complaints, really, about, you know, what has been going on in my life. And, man, you know, I, I could have a lot more, but, hell, can I handle a lot more? It's like, you know, I've had this you know, sleep thing going on, so we're trying to get that under control and figure out what's happening there, but we've missed a whole lot of the news, and it's not that we've missed it, it's just that I haven't been around to talk about it on the show, and so, you know, it's so funny because I get to writing things down on pieces of paper and pieces of mail, and then I'm sitting here and I'm looking at all of these mail envelopes with written stuff all over it, 
and it's like, I got to talk about this. I got to talk about that. Then a whole new batch of bullshit comes up. And so, you know, you're pushing it to the back because there's so many things that I do want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to come back to and discuss in depth the way that I want to. And so, yeah, I want to give a shout out to all the new people. You know, I've been getting, you know, these little messages from people saying that they found us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, just out there. And so they're getting a chance to listen to some of the archives. And that's absolutely wonderful, guys. You all enjoy that. But one thing I will say to you is while you all enjoy the archives and, you know, learn from it, I also want you to pay attention to what I was saying and what we were talking about then and our opinions and information and now because you should see a progressive um, evolution, you know, and when I say that, I'm not saying that I am 100% evolved. It's a never-ending process. It is definitely a never-ending process. Some of the things that I believed and that I said then, I don't necessarily believe them now, and I don't say it. But sometimes it does come to, you know, to mind. And I'll let you know this is how I used to feel, but this is how I feel now. So I have no problems you know, letting you guys know that my thought process has changed. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I call it out, you know, I've done that on a few shows. And so, guys, like I said, don't don't be afraid to say whatever is on your mind. But, yeah, so, you know, there's been a whole bunch of just bullshit happening. And, you know, you know there's a lot of stuff that we definitely need to address and I definitely want to give a shout-out to Black Lives Matter Minneapolis and Black Lives Matter Toronto. They um, they got on horseback and made their way to North Dakota and stood in solidarity with some of our native friends. And um, that was awesome. So, you know, That's it's the wonderful. cannonball, so... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I posted it on the Facebook pages and um, I had the hashtags and everything, but, you know, that made me proud. That really did. You know, and there was a lot of other people yeah, no, out there that were. Because, the, I mean, because, you know, we think about, a lot of times we think about the, um, you know, the sort of the, the climate change, right, and the inconvenience of climate change, right? And um, and all of the ways that it's the way that we live in the modern world, but a lot of times, uh, a lot of us don't stop and think about what the extraction of mineral resources does to indigenous people, you know, and and to their way right. of life, and and not even just to their to you know to their way of life, but um, to vital resources like water, you know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of these. A lot of these processes require the the water that we need to live, or they could possibly, you know, alter, um, you know, the, these these you know ponds and these lakes and these streams where people are able to get fresh water, and you know, fresh water is, uh, in my opinion, a, a human right since it's something that you need to live, you know, it's a, right. it's a natural right. 
for pretty much all living beings. So it's something that we have to protect. And, you know, like someone said, you can't drink oil. <laughs> exactly. As much of it exactly. as we want. But we can't eat that shit and we can't drink that shit. And exactly. that shit will kill us. <laughs> exactly. And so... Yeah, so, you know, it's important that we recognize that. And for those that haven't been paying attention, Ted Turner just handed over 43,000 acres of land to some to a Native American tribe. So go and look that information up. These are the type of things that you all need to, you know, keep an eye on. And that's why we talk about it every once in a while. You'll see me post something you know, and and just keep up and, you know, let these people know that there are people out here who care. Just like, you know, some of us show up to these vigils for, you know, white people that have been killed by state violence. And we've talked about this on the show, you know, for, for all of these All Lives Matter people. Where are you? We're there. Where are you? You know, we're there for black people, we're there for Latino people, Asian people, Native American, and white people. Where are you? And they're not listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is that it's true. And, you know, what's so ironic about the situation is the group White Lives Matter, they were just declared a terrorist group. How about that? Well, yeah, because that's what they are. I mean, how do you, what else do you call standing in front of an NAACP building with, you know, automatic rifles and, you know, <laughs> preventing preventing the entry of of these employees to their workplace? You know, what do you call that? You know, I have never, right, never see, in the history of the NAACP have you ever seen an NAACP demonstration where people carried automatic weapons or weapons really of any kind. You've never seen that because it never happens. The only the only weapon exactly. you'll see at a the only weapon that you'll see at a an uh, NAACP you know office or protest uh, you'll see is a lawyer. <laughs> That's the only weapon <laughs> in a Bible. In <laughs> <And> a Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe the quotable uh, Martin Luther King uh, quotable. In a bottle. Don't forget the holy oil now. Don't forget oh, that they're gonna smack you up in the head with some holy oil, child. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you thought about oh. holy oil just right, it could be a weapon, I guess. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And you know, for those of you that are out there, you know, we're not necessarily making light of the situation, but if you want a tea heath, go go and look up NAACP's reaction to the White Lives Matter. And then you'll see why the rest of us are outraged. Go go look up their reaction to the White Lives Matter. Because it's like, you know, their reaction floored us more than, you know, the, you know, White Lives Matter people standing there. And it's like, the fuck is going on around here? So, uh, anyway, I'm going to leave that alone because I can man, you know, you know, we can go in on the NAACP, the Urban League, and, oh, all right, so... 
what's so interesting, and I forgot about this until now. Thank you, Raina, for reminding me. Um, Donald Trump. And this is the only time we're going to talk about him on this show today. Yes, we do. Because you got to hear this. Donald Trump, his organization is reaching out to Jesse Jackson because of the bad press he's getting about his interaction and relationship with the black community. Now he's reaching out to Jesse Jackson to to give some property and you know do some have some talks about property. So I think he's going to give some property to the Rainbow Push. And here we go again, you all. Follow the money. Follow the money. Why is he giving yeah. Rainbow Push property? So look it up, my friends, and that's it about Donald Trump. I just want you guys to go and look it up, and, you know, I don't have the whole full story yet, so there's some holes in this, and that's fine, because this didn't develop until late last night, so it's nothing really to extensively research yet, but I did want to put it on y'all's radar, all right? So, here we go. I'll be right back. I'll be right back, Tim. I got to mute you real fast. Sorry. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Today, we want to talk about All Black Women Matter. Okay, and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about toxic masculinity, Leslie Jones, and the situation surrounding that. And what's so interesting about the Leslie Jones situation is, yeah, you know, the white feminists, the black feminists, black men, and, you know, white supremacy, and just a whole bunch of things surrounding that particular situation with this woman. And, you know, let me make sure I make my position quite clear. What happened to Leslie Jones was horrible. That never should have happened. You know, the community should have stood. Exactly. The community, the community, the community community. should have stood, yeah, yeah, you know, should have stood stood behind her. And why did they have to make a special hashtag to get black men to stand behind her and to admit that what happened to her was wrong? And, you know, even more interesting to me on a personal note are some of the people that I saw defending her in the secular community. And I'm gonna leave that shit right there. The secular community. Mm-mm, you know, no, because you already know where I'm gonna go off on that. So I'm, I'm gonna let it go. But you know, we're gonna talk okay. about some shit. Cause I mean, you know, but um, you know, rape culture, this shit with Nate Parker, you know, and this Nat Turner movie, and people saying, "Oh, you all are just trying to distract." From the Nat Turner movie, he was found not guilty and all kinds of crazy bullshit, you know, behind that situation. And, again, you know, this man really has shown no contrition. But, you know, that that fluff piece they did with him, he claimed to have shown some contrition, but I don't necessarily buy it. That's me. You know, um, R. Kelly is yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. Even where now he's talking about consent and um, talking about consent and uh, some uh, some other things, consent and uh, what do you call it, uh, masculinity, 
I didn't read the whole thing because I got down to the part where he was talking about consent. And I was, Uh I just, I was like, you know what, this is crap. Like, it's obvious to me that Nate Parker got some new, uh, some new PR people. Exactly. Exactly. Like, he got exactly like, very, very recently. Because the difference between that Variety article. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got control of, they're trying to control the narrative, you know, because it got out of hand and they lost control of it. And so, you know, a whole bunch of shit there. Want to talk about R. Kelly, you know, and, and, you know, he's getting ready to get married again, y'all, to someone that still has, um, you know, we'll just say the milk is still on their lips. And so um, it's interesting, uh, you know, and also, you know, part of the show notes, you'll see where I put black trans women matter, too. And fuck you to those who disagree. And so, you know, a lot of the times when we talk about these situations, you know, people forget about black trans women. And in some cases, they are deliberately factored out. And, you know, there are a number of issues that we need to talk about. You know, one of the main ones is, you know, the number of black trans women that are being killed across this country. But one thing that I have not really seen a big discussion around or behind, black trans women that are sexually assaulted and ones that are in intimate um, violence, you know, relationships where they have a lot of domestic violence. You know, these are things that, you do not hear about very often, and this happens. Right. And so <clears throat> it's just it's, it's interesting. But the overall show today, we're just going to talk a little bit about the expendability of black women and why we're treated, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that we're treated and why it's wrong. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I put two quotes up, well, not quotes, but, you know, I was talking about well-meaning sexist, well-meaning racist, with question marks behind that. That's going to be interspersed throughout this here. But the expendability of black women. So there was this documentary. And, Rain, if you want to set that up, go ahead. Yeah, so um, for those of you that aren't familiar, um, they're in L.A., in uh, in South LA, there was a serial killer um, that recently got convicted. Um, I'm not sure what the sentence was because I haven't kept up with that aspect of the trial. But um, he was convicted of killing several prostitutes um, over, um, I think, decades. And um, his name is uh, the serial killer is called the Grim Sleeper. And um, there's a documentary on um, on HBO a while ago, um, also called The Grim Sleeper, that talks of uh, that basically follows a film crew that went to find out how this was possible that there was this man who was killing prostitutes for decades and hadn't been found, and you know why the police didn't really seem all that interested, and um, you know and finding out who this was, right? Um, so um, it's really interesting. I think the most interesting thing that I told Kim was that um, 
in the documentary, and this is like within the first 20 minutes of the documentary, um, the um, filmmakers go into Lonnie, um, I forget his last name, Lonnie Williams or something like that, go into Lonnie's neighborhood, and Lonnie Franklin, sorry, um, go into Lonnie Franklin's neighborhood, and uh, they encounter some of Lonnie's friends. And Lonnie's friends absolutely that he did not kill those women. Absolutely adamant. I mean, uh, to the point that they abused verbally the film crew. Then later, one of the um, friends, uh, you know, talks to some of the members of the film crew and basically says, I still don't believe that Lonnie did this. But I've since, you know, talking to you, thought about some things, and I'm thinking that there were some things that he did that might be questionable. Um, I don't mm-hmm. – those weren't his precise words. Uh, Kim might be more familiar with his precise words, having seen the documentary more recently than I have. Um, but that was essentially the gist of it, right, Kim? Um, That's correct. Yeah. So when they start digging into some of these uh, behaviors that Lonnie had, um, one thing was um, Lonnie. Lonnie and his wife, uh, they were they you know they were married, but they were not close. Um, and Lonnie was uh, you know he slept with a lot of prostitutes primarily, um, but he also. Oh wow, Raina drop. She she'll she'll call right back. But yeah, you know, with um, Lonnie Franklin, you know, he had relation well relations or sexual relationships with um, a number of women who were sex workers, and 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 some of them had crack addictions, right? And so. What was happening is, you know, he ended up taking, you know, many of their lives. You know, he would take pictures of them. And so he had this whole picture book thing going up. And, you know, one of his friends, you know, he showed them his gun because um, many of them were killed with a 25.25 uh, um, millimeter weapon. And, you know, he showed his friend the weapon. The other women were strangled. And so, you know, there was a lot going on there. And, you know, it, it their murders were never really fully investigated because they were, I guess, expendable women. You know, they were hookers, they were crack addicts or what have you. And the police department, you know, they just didn't give a damn, you know, and it, it, it's amazing, you know, because I'm more than positive he was not the first, and he sure as hell ain't the last. And so this is what we're talking about when I talk about black women being expendable. And I want you guys to go out and look up a lot of this stuff. Go look up the Grim Sleeper. And um, if you got HBO or On Demand, you can find it. It's right there. And it's just 
you know, it's unfortunate, you know, because I'm definitely one of these people. I feel that sex work should be legal and it also should be regulated. And in addition to this, you know, we have to start looking at the circumstances, you know, because Raina and I talked about this extensively um, on a number of occasions about, you know, how some women enjoy being sex workers. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But you have some women in which that was the only recourse that they may have had. may not have been their first choice, but it was the choice that they had to take at that moment. And it's just that um, when I was watching the latter part of the documentary and, you know, a lot of women came in, you know, because the police had their pictures, had a little portfolio of the pictures that they took from the Grim Sleepers' home. And, you know, no one really bothered to go and find these women. There was this woman by the name of Pam. I mean, no, not Pam, D. And she was the one who went out, and she knew a lot of these women because she also at one point was, um, you know, a sex worker, and she at one point was also addicted to crack. But she went, and she nukes quite a few of the women and found them. And so what happened was they were too scared to be seen on the street talking to these um, videographers, and they, but they they agreed to meet him at his studio. So, Rain, if you want to pick it up from there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm so sorry, Kim. I, I was just talking, talking, talking. Didn't even realize the phone had dropped the call, so I apologize about that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, so, yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, the girls, yeah, they had gone to, like, a studio somewhere so that they could, um, you know, they could talk without being seen on the street. And, you know, these women, you know, told, you know, about their encounters with Lonnie. And some of them had um, some more innocuous encounters, right? Um, because, these mm-hmm. were, again, women that had been photographed, so no one knew if they were alive or dead. Uh, so some of them weren't even aware that this man was a murderer. Um, some of them had had some, some, some seriously scary encounters with Lonnie, um, suggesting that they narrowly escaped. Um, And, you know, there were, you know, some women who were like, you know, how could you treat someone like that? You know, Um, you know, I may, I may be out here. I may be, you know, I may be poor and I may be, you know, drug addicted, but I'm a person. That's right. And, and, you know, that's, that's the unfortunate thing is, that these these women, um, you know, they were, you know, they were not being treated as human beings. And they're often, I mean, when black women often are not treated as human beings. Let's just put that out first, you know. Um, I think there are some, there's statistics that show that over 50% of black women are sexually assaulted, like, by, by what, 14, Kim? Mm-hmm. Like exactly. There's, yep. there's there's all types of stats that show that um, there's um, you know there's the fact that black women are gen- are often denigrated and and music and comedy and 
entertainment, um, you know, I mean, going all the way back to hot, hot Venus, you know, black women who, you know, have always been uh, picked apart, you know, for not being as, as feminine or considered as feminine as white women, you know, um, they've been made fun of before our, our physical attributes, right? Um, and so we've never been regarded as, as being worthy of the feminine protection that's supposed to be, you know, given. So, I mean, do you have something to say about that, Kim? Yeah, Leslie Jones. That's what I have to say about that. That is a current real-life example of, you know, this particular situation um, in regards to black women not being valued um, or, or painted as being masculine and just all of that fuckery there. But I'm going to get back to the grim sleeper. And, um, you know, in one woman that was um, part of the – um, documentary there. She was talking about, you know, she may have, you know, been addicted to drugs. She may have been a sex worker, but she was still a human being. She was still a person. And that right there, when when you go, if you if you watch the documentary, that's where I really started getting choked up. And you know, this is this, a discussion that we have not had in, you know, this country, let alone in, you know, many of our communities. And, I mean, people have had discussions, but I'm talking about a serious, a serious national discussion, you know, and it's just, it's it's horrible. And so, again, that takes me, oh, yeah. And so, I mean, but do you understand where I'm coming from when I pointed at Leslie Jones and the way that she was being treated? Yeah, and so, you know, I want to talk about the expendability of black women. Because, you know, again, you got people, it's like, hell, you got people that's out here (laughs) playing black women in real life. You know, you got Rachel Dolezal, and it was another more recent fucked up example that I can't think of right now. It'll come back to me. But, you know, you have these people out here, (laughs) you know, out here basically, you know, now it's like we're just expendable because you got white women and Latino women and all these other women that can take the place. (laughs) Exactly, her. She's not going to say that, but, I mean, she's she's even getting to center herself in advertisements for Puma that are really about uh, the history of hip hop in the South Bronx, you know? Exactly. And it's just, exactly. it's just so, it's so interesting how black culture can be commodified and, uh, and black people be erased from it, from its history. Exactly. Exactly. And this is happening across the board. And, you know, and one of the things that really upsets me about this are the number of black men that are out here saying we don't need them blah, blahs. And, you know, y'all know I know my way around some cuss words, you know. And when you have black men throwing us under the bus, 
saying, you know, how much they don't need us. I mean, it's, it's a lot of massage. It's a lot of hate. And not just in the black community, just period, because a lot of white men hate women too. You know, and it's like, it, it's really interesting because it's like, now I want you guys to start paying attention to some of these stories that are coming out about Donald Trump's supporters and how they're being abusive toward black women specifically. And I want you all to see the the aggressive nature. I want you guys to pay attention to, to what they're doing. And there have been several cases in which these white men have been in the faces of putting their fingers in, yelling at, spitting at black women, and nobody said a fucking word. The white people acted as though they didn't see it. The black men didn't say a fucking word. The fuck? Right. Well, I mean, don't you know, just, but yeah, I mean, we, not just that, but I mean, we could talk about, we could even go back to like talking about the first lady and the, and the, oh, and, yeah. and her daughters. Oh, yeah. And the way exactly. that the media has and, gone after her, her and her daughters. Exactly. Now, thank you for bringing that up, because I was thinking about her daughters, you know, Malia and Sasha. Malia was at Lollapalooza being free, having some black girl magic. You know, it's like she's still able to be free. And people were angry about that, so she was dancing so fucking way. Oh, she had a red cup. Is it possible that that was water and ice? And, you know, let these... Leave those little girls alone. Let them be free. Let them be free. You know, that just really pisses me off because it's like it's not just Malia and Sasha. I'm talking about, you know, black children in general are not allowed to be children. No. You know, Tamir Rice, Tamir Rice, who was 12, Ayanna Jones, who was, you know, a, a preteen as well. You know, when I say preteen, that's 14 and under. And, you know, a number of other situations, whereas you had these young black lives, you know, and, and you know, people want to portray them as being adults. But then you get that asshole, Locky guy, and they want to say boys will be boys. How is a 12-year-old little black boy a man and a 30-something-year-old white man a boy? How does that work? I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. You know, and, you know, you have all of this, you know, happening. You have over 64,000 black women and girls missing in this country. It's, It's so bad that, you know, there are men killing women all over this country, and it's not making the headlines. I think I posted that. If I didn't post it, I meant to, and I got to find it and post it later. But no one is saying anything about it. It's like they don't even care. It's like this is something that happens all the time. We've gotten desensitized to it, and we really need to be outraged because, again, you know, even with, you know, these different movements that are happening, and in particular the black and brown communities, these movements have been started, initiated, funded, and perpetuated by black women, black and brown women. They funded it. They put their money. They put their hearts and soul into it. They saw injustices happening, and and they went out and they marched and they they, they got this stuff organized. And then the men want to come in and take it over. 
But yet some of these same men wouldn't piss on us if we were running down the block on fire. So this is why I don't understand, and this is why you have a lot of black women out here that are pretty much fed up and saying that they're not going to march or protest for another black man, period. And it ain't helping, y'all, that you got assholes like Tariq Nasheed and Tommy Sotomayor and what's that guy's name in Philadelphia? Umar, you know, and a number of other ones. You know, uh, you have Jay Duvall. You know, you got a whole bunch of folks out here that are just absolutely hate women, hate black women. You know, and my thing is, what did your mama do to you? You know, because that's it, it doesn't make any sense as to why well, they don't have to. they would treat. Well, I was gonna say it doesn't have to be their mama. You know what I mean? I, yeah, that's it true. In a culture that hates black women. Exactly. You know, living in, you know. in a culture that hates black women, hates their features, hates their, hates the way that they behave. Unless gays, unless gay white men can emulate it, or white right. men can emulate it. That's it. That's the only time, or emulate what they think we all act like. You know what I mean? Exactly. But no one actually values exactly. values us. We're not exactly. We're not protected. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, I don't yeah. want to get any emails. Yes, black men are expendable too in this culture. Oh, of course. You know, but today we're talking about black women. But there, but you know, black men and, are expendable in this culture. But at the same time, black men are 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 not as expendable because they're ma- they're male. Because exactly. They're male. Their maleness. Exactly. Is 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 redemptive to an to a certain degree because they're because they're men. They're, it's it's a, we live in a patriarchal culture that you know values masculinity, masculine traits. That's why on cert, on a certain level, men of men are looked at a particular way because they the stereotypes emphasize all these very hyper masculine traits. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So right. So like so like their their masculinity is always thought to be of be cool. You know what I mean? Kind of why like um, there's a, there was a study that was done talking about it's easier to be a, a black boy in 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 a suburban middle school than a black girl. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason is is because of these of the stereotypes. Of of black men being hyper masculine, it's thought of as cool. It's, it's like they're, um, it's like you're James Dean. You know what I mean? Like right. rebel without a cause. You know what I mean? You're exactly you're, you're strong. You're 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 you know you you break the rules like that kind of a thing. And and we all know that that's not you know, the way that it is, that black masculinity comes in many forms. But that's just how it's situated because we live in a, you know, white supremacist patriarchal culture that, you know, says that black exactly. men are brutish and, and hyper-masculine and that they're, um, that they have, uh, that they're hypersexual, you know, and all of this. So, 
That's just what we live Exactly. In. So we're not saying that black men are not expendable. It's the black women are more expendable than black men and always have been. I mean, even talking about about the his slavery. I mean, mostly when you talk about history of slavery, you're talking about uh, the perspective of black men in slavery. Even when you talk about, like, things like race, the thing that is always talked about, even before the pain that raped black women had to endure, is the pain that black men had watching their, you know, their sisters and their daughters and their wives, you know, or lovers mm-hmm. rape because they could not deal with the pain of not being able to protect them. Like, somehow that pain is more relevant than the pain of the person that was raped. How about that? And then then the other part that that always gets talked about is the rape. And so that was the only type of violence that black women were subject to. Like, Like, if we had just submitted ourselves, then we would get all of these rewards from, you know, from white masters. Which is not the case. Right. Exactly. 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 You know, and you're absolutely right. And, again, just, I mean, it's it's hard for me to talk about things like this because I've seen it in real life. I've been victimized by this in real life in, in you know, a number of ways. And it's, it's I don't know, it's like, Black women are basically, to many people, sacrificial lambs, if you will. And it's unfortunate that we're being put in that position. But, you know, I just look at this shit, and it's crazy. And I don't understand how this has been allowed to, you know, continue to be perpetuated in in this society. And even in some cases, defend it. Um, he is tall, um, 
and she's not what a lot of people would consider conventionally beautiful. Um, and, you know, for those of you who want to, you know, act stupid, like you don't know what conventional ideas about beauty are in the West, you know, we're talking about, you know, fair skin, you know, light colored hair, blonde hair, right, blue eyes, um, that kind of aesthetic is generally considered beautiful. Whereas the traits that black women and particularly darker skinned black women have are generally not considered as beautiful. And if you wanna if you wanna debate me on that, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to, you know, I don't know. You're gonna have to do, you know, something like, you know, Clint Eastwood with the empty chair because that's gonna be that. Okay. But um, the thing about it is, is that, you know, she's, this is what she is. This is what it is. Now, I happen to think that Leslie Jones is beautiful, you know. And I know that Me there's too. not a lot of people who, and, there's, and, I, and there, I know there's people who are not going to feel that way. But the problem that I have with Leslie Jones is that, um, and this is maybe not a problem necessarily directly with her because maybe she's just doing this for a paycheck. And there have been black people who've had to do degrading things like play maids and mammies and all types of things for a paycheck. However, I still hold her accountable because we're living in 2016 in an age where we have more options, right? So a Mm -hmm. lot of the characters that she plays on SNL are, are explicitly written to make fun of black women. They're explicitly written to make fun of us for you know, for being all of the negative things that are associated with black women. We're too aggressive. We're, too, we're not feminine enough. You know, there were some, um, there were a series of uh, little spots that she did with Drake to promote him being on the show where, you know, she told Drake to get in her lap and he laughed and then she made a serious face and she was like, okay, and he got in her lap because he was all scared. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know there there have been skits where Leslie Jones has been made to act as though she's um, hypersexual. You know, um, right? I mean, just all different kinds of things. And um. You know, some of you probably think, what's the big deal or whatever. I'm sorry, I don't have time to give you those history lessons. You can go back and listen to the archives. Um, but, exactly. You know, these things are these things are, are harmful stereotypes that have been used to suggest, to, to further suggest why black women should not be protected, why black women can be, you know, can't, couldn't be raped, Right. There, there is a time in the right. country where black women could not be raped. Like, you could not prosecute a rape for a black woman, whether she, it was someone who raped her of her same race or someone who raped her of a different race. It was impossible to prosecute because black women were considered so lascivious that we, that we must always be in a position of consent. And so you could exactly. never prosecute. And so I just, I look at the um, the whole Leslie Jones thing, um, you know, and the way that she's um, 
been used on SNL, and I think that it's really heart hurtful and negative, and that it and and, and it hurts particularly those darker skinned women in our community who um who are generally never affirmed, you know, in in our in our mm-hmm. wider society in terms of beauty and in terms of things. I mean, you know, think about some of the negative comments that have you know been made about you know Viola Davis wearing her natural hair, you know, right. Um, you know, I mean, just all kinds of things. I mean, I've heard people. I mean, on Twitter, they're saying things about Leslie Jones that she looks like a gorilla. You know, yeah. As you know, as as if she could look like a gorilla. You know what I mean? Is it's just disgusting. It's ridiculous. Said. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's it's not okay. This is not okay. Right, and so, and it hurts even more when these things are coming out of the mouths of black people, and especially yeah. other black women. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, it's, it's just it's horrible, and she doesn't deserve to be treated like that. And you know, the interesting thing about it, I guess, you know, the question that I would put out there, you know, too. The audience is people like Leslie Jones, black women in general, but especially women, you know, like Leslie Jones. Are black men basically partly responsible for this type of treatment? And, you know, what I mean by that is you have people, again, like Tommy Sotomayor and others that absolutely hate black women. I think they hate women in general, but especially black women. So do do black men play a role in this? Absolutely. You know, in, in how Leslie is treated. You know, but the same thing with the women that were raped by that cop, Danielle Horsecloth. You know, what role did black men play in that? You know, and and it's just you know I guess the question another question would be, you know, are black women protected by the police? Period. No. Well, no, of course not. And I mean, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, and, that, and since you're bringing up the subject of race, um, <clears throat> because I'm going to have to go and shortly, um, mm-hmm. I want to get into this Thank Nate you. Parker thing. I want to get into this Nate Parker thing because. Um, go ahead, run with it. Because uh, Nate Parker. Okay, so Nate Parker, you know, for those of you that haven't followed the story at all, Nate Parker is, you know, he's the star of movies Beyond the Lights and Red Tails. He directed this Nat Turner movie. Um, and, you know, he's, I mean, he's a talented actor. I've seen him in uh, in Beyond the Lights. I'm, I'm not going to lie. He's a talented actor. But um, I had an opportunity to read some of the transcripts. Um, some of which I think have been taken down off of the internet recently, but I've had an opportunity to read the transcripts. And one of the witnesses who was a friend of his, you know, said that the woman that Nate was having sex with was not conscious, did not appear to be conscious. And so that my friend means that he did not have consent. Okay. Um, unfortunately, for, for a lot of reasons that I don't have time to go into, but I'm just going to say that you need to read um, this book called Redefining Rape, which is a really great book to understand uh, about how patriarchy in our culture 
and in our legal system has basically made the prosecution of rape difficult in many situations because the victims, uh, because often all the defendant has to do is just um, make reference to the fact that the victim is not a virgin or that the victim has had sexual relations with the defendant before, and somehow that, uh, you know, eliminates their culpability. Right. Right. Similar similar situation happened here in the Nate in the in, in the Nate Parker case, and so um, I just want you all to to keep uh, you know to look and see who's defending Nate Parker in this situation. I don't really care about the timing of this. I think that the timing is right. irrelevant. I think that I think that what it, that when um, I think that because we know that black women have been abused by black men and abused by our, the culture and society at large, right? I, as a black woman, <clears throat> it gets my, it, it, it draws red flags for me when I see black men who are so readily able to forgive something like a, a rape um, just because this woman happens to be white. Because I've read Eldridge Cleaver, and I read that he basically right. practiced raping black women, right? For for yeah, when so he would go right. So he for for when he would go and sleep with white women. You know? And this is, you know, this to me is unacceptable because I know that there are white black men who see white women as a prize. See white women as a prize and they defend this sort of rape against the white woman, then what are they will what are they what are, what does that mean about how they see black women, right? Exactly. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't bode well for black women. And knowing that black women face so much sexual assault and victimization, um, we have to be aware of that. And so when Nate Parker issued his apology, non-apology, um, where he <laughs> talked about how tra- traumatic the whole situation back in 1999 was for him, that drew a red flag for me. And I think that um, people need to be held accountable for the things that they do. Um, I I noticed recently, I think I told Kim this morning uh, or, or earlier just now, that there's an Ebony article that he just put out. I only got as far as the very first question that they asked him about consent because he describes himself being 19 in a threesome. He was not in a threesome. He was 19 participating in a rape of an unconscious person where he invited his friend to join him. That's what happened. Right. And we can talk about people being young and making stupid, stupid decisions and things like that. I, but honestly, I think, I think we all knew right from wrong. Uh, His friend, one of his friends knew from wrong uh, because he didn't participate. He left, you know? Um, now, I think personally that he probably should have made a different choice and probably stopped the entire thing from happening, told them to, you know, put a blanket over her and let her sleep, you know, rather than to rape right. her, you know. But, exactly. You know, that is, you know, that's me. But I think, um, I think though, that we need to hold people accountable. And I, and I at least appreciate that. It seems that someone is educating him on these things. Whether he is taking these things personally to heart is another is another matter. 
the fact that he's talking about consent and that this has brought up is about, uh, you know, discussion about issues of consent, about, you know, um, about what rape is and that type of thing is something that I think is valuable. So um, you may right. feel that this is wrong and there's some sort of conspiracy or whatever, but I, I hope that it is you to go and to read about what uh, about how rape gets prosecuted in, a, in, a, in the American system and how um, and how we often put victims on trial rather than rapists right. and how, it's, how, how rape is a very different crime in the way that we handle it from other, other types of crimes. And exactly. And, and, and for that um, reason, it makes it even more difficult to prove for, uh, for the victim, you know? And, exactly. And why victims exactly. would not want to come forward and why victims sometimes when they're, you know, decide not to testify, you know, because it's, exactly. it's traumatic. I mean, reading some of this exactly. stuff that's been out here has been has been traumatic and triggering for me. And I've I have I have to say I've never been raped, but I've been sexually assaulted on more than one occasion. You know, and right. it is it is it is anxiety producing. You know, exactly to, to think about exactly. to think about these things and to think about how someone can violate you like that and not ever be held accountable. Exactly, and and you know you're then you're gaslighted depending on the situation, and the community, and you know the whole thing is interesting because Treva Lindsay wrote an article about it. She was like, "Ain't no fun, and homies can't have none." And T R E V A Treva Lindsay, go look that up. But you know it's it's a lot of people that have that same particular mindset and again even if she had had consensual sex with you know Nate earlier that does not create an easement in which he can just continuously have sex with her and that her consent was ever you know ever standing no that's not how that works and then he he brought other people into it so you all you got to look at this situation but you know there are a number of articles and one of the shows that we did in the past that Raina referred to we were talking about Jezebel Mammy Sapphire and blacks you know women's stereotypes so you know go and look that up if you want a better understanding of some of the things that we're talking about one book that I purchased that I have not had the pleasure of reading um, is from LaShawn Harris and the title is Sex Workers, Psychics and Numbers Runners Black Women in New York City's Underground Economy Wow that sounds interesting I'm going to have to read that one Oh yeah, definitely. And um, it's another one about redefining rape. That's a good one. But I'm gonna get going. Thank you for having me. Hope to be back soon. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, hit me up later when you leave. Alrighty. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. And so, guys, you know, you have all of these out here, and just go and look it up and. You know, this is not a conspiracy about people trying to take black men down or, you know, this guy is successful and, you know, (laughs) people are trying to kill his career. And, you know, again, there's a lot of hate out here for women, and it's across the board. I'm not saying every man is a woman hater. No, I am not saying that. 
and there is no such thing as a well-meaning sexist. And so, you know, the whole thing, you know, like I was saying earlier about, you know, the Daniel um, case, Hortzclaw, and what, you know, what transpired with him, you know, sexually assaulting all of those black women, and he just happened to pick the wrong one because he was choosing or picking out black women that he felt that nobody cared about, you know, because of whatever their circumstances may have been, whether they were a sex worker, whether they were drug addicted, whether they were poor, you know, um, uneducated or what have you. He picked out these women, you know, in, in a very systematic way on purpose. He just happened to pick the wrong woman who went and reported it, and it just opened up that Pandora's box. And so, you know, we need to look at this because it's like, you know, in this nation, in the United States, and, you know, this is where I live, and this is the politics that I am part of every single day. In this country, black lives are expendable which is why we're saying black lives matter. But, you know, what's interesting is we need to take that a little further because not only are these black lives expendable, you know, to mainstream society, these same black lives are expendable to certain people or or I'll just go ahead and put it out there. There's really no way to clean this up. But the black misleadership class, now, you need to think about that, and you need to be questioning these black politicians, these, um, you know, really wealthy black people out here. You know, what are we worth to them? Are we expendable to them? The answer is yes. And it's just, you know, I'm just sitting here, and I'm looking at it, and, you know, there are a number of conversations that we definitely need to start having in this country. And that's one of them. That's one of the hard conversations, you know, and, and this goes back to, you know, again, go and look up to see who who heralded and, and supported Bill Clinton when he signed that crime bill. Also, when he gutted welfare, and with 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 you know what happened with the welfare bill, that destroyed a lot of people in the community. Destroyed communities. You need to go back and see what happened. And so you know, and again, it affected black women and children the most. And so what's interesting is one of the arguments that are out there now is, you know, when you hear certain people in mainstream America talking about the black community, they paint us all as poor, destitute, you know, uh, <laughs> um, uneducated, just a number of stereotypes. And that's not true. Most black people are not poor. So, you know, is I'm just looking at this and some of the hoops that black women have to jump through just to live. 
just to breathe, just to eat, feed her children as well as herself. You know, on many occasions, they go to bed hungry or they'll eat what the kids left over because that's all that's left. Why are women in this country treated badly across the board, but black women particularly? Because, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, if, you're, if you've been paying attention, you know, when everything fucking goes haywire, they generally bring a black person in to fix it. You know, in many cases, black women. And, I mean, look at how they treated, you know, a number of black women or black politicians over the years. You all saw what happened to Lonnie Guineer. You know, and a number of other ones. And, you know, they were putting – so anyway, I don't even really want to get into it because that takes me into a whole different type of conversation um, in regards to politics in this country and, you know, black people being the sacrificial lambs, if you will. And um, I'm just sick of it all. And I know that there are quite a few black women that are out here. And this is why, you know, many of us, we just kind of stay in the background and we watch. And watch what's happening. And when you have nobody defending you, and you have people who you thought would defend you, out here, you know, basically putting the candles on the cake and lighting the candles up, kind of shit is this? And so it's a lot, you know, what happened to, you know, those women that were raped by horse claw that was, you know, that was horrible, you know, and what's been happening to women, black women in this country since the very first black woman was brought here. And it's getting progressively worse, you know. And so this is why I want you guys to go out, do some research, you know, because, again, the way that these negative tropes and narratives that are put out here, you know, they they try to portray black women as subversives and deviants. You know, we've talked about this, you know, again, with that hypersexuality, with the stereotypes of the sapphire and, you know, the uh, Jezebel and all of that. Um, yeah, you know, all of this plays a role. And it's not just white people doing this. You know, you have black men and you even have some black women, you know. And, you know, it, many of the women that are picked and that are victimized the most are the ones who who have been silenced. Because, again, you know, if they're a sex worker, if they're, you know, a drug addict, or if they're poor, receiving, you know, they're expendable, they're murdered, they're raped, you know, people don't care. If you want to go back, look up Anthony Soule, S-O-W-E-L-L. Look at what he did. Look at what he did, the women that he killed. They were considered expendable. And so this is why I'm talking about the expendability of black women and why it's important, 
you know, for us to look at the whole story, look look at the context of it, and and then try to understand what role we play in this. You know, say their name, say these women's name. You know, Nancy Cobbs, Tanya Carmichael, Janice Webb. You know, and a shitload of others. You know, and and I just I for the life of me, I don't understand why people think that this is okay. It's not okay. And you know, you got people throwing you know black people, but especially black women, out like they're a piece of trash. And unfortunately, there's too many of us out here saying, well, it's okay. No, the fuck, it ain't okay. So, again, you know, where's the justice for black women? Where's the justice for black girls? You know, go and look up, you know, Mary Spears. And and, and what is her significance in this? It's important, guys. Go look this up. And for those who don't remember Mary Spears, a man tried to, you know, tried to talk to her, make a pass at her. She ignored him, and he killed her. And this was some random stranger. on the. She was just walking down the street, minding her own business. And a lot of this is tied into, again, with that toxic masculinity. You know, you have hyper-masculinity, all of that. And the role and the definition of masculinity in this country, really around the world, but especially here in America, because there are a lot of men, whether they know you or not, they feel that you should submit yourself to their authority at all times. Whether you know them or not, they will harass you. They will put their hands on you. You know, they they had these um, videos out where these men were following the women, and it's just, it's horrible. Why do they feel that they can do this? And why aren't these women being protected? See, these are the questions that we need to talk about. You know, I'm not sure if you all remember the story. I forgot the name of the people, but um, it was this woman who was, and she was in her 20s, and she had a boyfriend that was in his 40s. Him and his friends stripped her naked and beat her to death because she was not submitting herself to her boyfriend's authority. She was not submissive enough. And they thought it was okay to do that. And, again, this goes back into this patriarchal point of view that women are supposed to submit themselves and do whatever it is that these men demand of them. And, you know, some of this plays into the religion, some of it doesn't. You know, but I guess my question in regards to religion, you know, you know, does it support men's fear? Just men in general, men's fear of being expendable in general. So I don't know, but it doesn't matter because, again, we're all equal. We're all human beings. And so, you know, it's a lot of healing that needs to take place. And, you know, I have to give credit to the organizers and the activists that are out here bringing these issues to light 
putting them on the forefront, you know, but there's a lot of healing that needs to be done, professional healing, you know, and, um, you know, is it possible? Because some of these people out here that's trying to help and trying to heal the community, they ain't even healed. You know, many of us have dealt with a lot of trauma, a lot of terror, and we need to, you know, take all of that into consideration. And, you know, many of us need professional help. You know, the people out there that have that particular skill set, you know, you're definitely needed. You're needed in these communities because, you know, again, if it's, you know, dysfunctional behavior, you know, a lot of this dysfunction has happened so often and it happens so much that it's now considered normal or commonplace in our communities. That's a problem. You know, so again, you know, the expendability of black women, the invisibility of black women, the silencing of black women, all of that. You know, and it makes us targets. You know, and they've already declared war, so, you know, what's next? And see, you know, the whole thing is, you know, we try to explain and get you guys to understand that black women and girls are being incarcerated at the same rate, if not more, than black men and boys. The school-to-prison pipeline, it affects girls women the same way as it does black men and boys. Pay attention. Get out here. Read. Educate yourself. Talk to some people. And it's happening. You know, and um, it's, it's incredible, but not in a good way. You know, you know, why can't we just be? And so, yeah, we definitely want you guys to go out And when I say I'm talking about everybody, you know, um, go out and do some research and understand, you know, what's happening out here, the role that we all play in one fashion or another. But, um, you know, this black expendiality, expandability, oh, my Lord, you know, the black expendability um, is real. It's real. And so we definitely would encourage you guys. I posted a PDF yesterday, and it was talking about post, so-called post-racial America, the black Mohicans, and it was pretty much focused on the violence that's happening here in Chicago. And um, it's actually a good read, you know, if you're interested in reading that. But, um, yeah, you know, I guess... Being black is a crime. We already know it's an industry, you know, and, and, and Raina, you know, hinted on it earlier today when she was talking about how, you know, blackness has been commodified. You know, anti-blackness is an industry. Fear is an industry. Poverty is an industry. 
And one example that I would like to give you all, because it's like, you know, there have been studies after studies after studies. You know, we've been giving you all the answers to this shit for years, but you couldn't believe us. So you go spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars to find out what we had already been telling you when you can use that same 10, 20, 40, 50 million dollars to rebuild the infrastructure in our communities. You know, but the secret about that particular infrastructure, for those of you that are paying attention, a lot of the landowners in black communities or in areas we are relegated and herded into living, the majority of those landowners are wealthy white men. So think about it. I want you to think about that. And so now I forget where I was going with this, damn it. But, you know, um, is is it's a lot. Oh, I know where I was going. So, sorry about that, guys. For those that have been listening to the show, you all should be used to this. You know, I'll be on a path, and then I'll forget what I was talking about, and I don't have a paper and pen in front of me. But I want you guys, like I said, you have all these studies out here confirming what we had already said. I want you guys to put your focus back on Ferguson. Put your focus back on Ferguson, Missouri. And the reason why I'm saying that is because, you know, we know how the Department of Justice came in We and, and you know, made a report about the injustices and the discrepancies and the illegality of certain things in Ferguson. We know that. We know that the U.N. came in and charged the United States with, you know, human rights violations and a number of other things. It's just, you know, been a number of issues across the board. And so then we had the political, you know, the municipality issues. Now, this is where I'm going with this. Ferguson is is losing a lot of money. And the reason for it is because they can they are not Okay, let me go back. The reason why Ferguson is bleeding money now is because they're not shaking down the poor black people in that community anymore. I'm going to post an article talking about that, about how they're not fining and, you know, fining every damn body. These warrants aren't being issued, the fines and the fees, you know, a lot of that has gone down. And, you know, again, we've explained to you guys on a number of occasions that when you go into these, you know, government buildings, these, you know, municipal courts and all of that, the majority of the people that are working there are white people. And the majority of the people paying the fines and fees are people of color. So we are the ones keeping these particular white people employed, even though we may be the majority of the citizens or residents in, you know, that particular area. We're still the ones keeping that that whole government system, you know, propped up because they're taxing and fining and feeding the hell out of us. And now that, you know, attention has been brought to the forefront in that particular city, look at what's happening. Okay, this is important for you guys to know this and to understand what is happening. And most importantly, this is something that needs to be done across the country. And so, yes, I'm one of those people who feels that the police department needs to be abolished, period. 
Go look up your history about the Second Amendment. Go look up your history about the militias, you know, bounty hunters, all of that. All of this ties into each other. Important that you guys know and understand the history and the context, you know, of what's happening. And so, um, you know, one of the projects that's on the table now, and I've been talking about this since 2011, about the Poor People's Campaign and how it needs to be picked back up. And so, you know, I'm starting to see that in a few places, and I think that's wonderful. And there's a component of it that, um, you know, uh, people of color beyond faith that I'm going to initiate with um, a couple of groups here in Chicago. And so, yeah, we're picking it back up. We're picking it back up. We're going to take our communities back. You know, we're going to make sure these babies are fed, make sure these babies get to school safely, learn something or the other, you know, if 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 need be, you know, support the family and encourage people. Sometimes all people need is a little bit of encouragement and motivation. They may be wanting to do something, but they don't know where to start or who to talk to, you know, and, and that's where we need to start picking these things back up. And so, yeah, guys, go read, research, fact check me. I do not have a problem with that at all. You know, if you want to do a Google search and get some really interesting articles, Google racial state of expendability. And you'll see a lot of information about black people and Latino people and, you know, people of color and why we are considered expendable. You know, and it's so interesting that word expendable was taught to me by my Uncle Walter when I was about 12 years of age. And we were having this discussion about the military. And my Uncle Walter, he went to Vietnam, and, um, you know, that that changed him. But, um, you know, my Uncle Walter, man, I miss him. You know, he passed away, but I miss him. I miss him a lot. You know, he didn't live long enough to see Barack Obama elected, but I can just imagine what he would have said. You know, it's just it's amazing because I remember a conversation with him in which, you know, the town where my family was living at that time, um, you know, it was pretty much lily white. And then they imported a couple of black doctors. And you should have seen my uncle's face light up when he saw one of them. And so it's just, it was it was interesting. But, um, yeah, you know, and again, you know, black trans women, they matter too. And they have to deal with a lot of the same issues that cisgendered women. And we shouldn't even have to differentiate between cis and trans. They're women, period. If that is how they identify, that is who and what they are, period. It is not up to the rest of us to question it. It's not subject to debate. But they have to deal with domestic violence or intimate partner violence. They have to deal with sexual assault, deal with rape. These are conversations that need to be had, you know, because 
again, you know, to me, they seem to be even more expendable than, than, you know, cisgendered black women. And I call bullshit on all of that. And um, for those of you that are a little confused, we were supposed to start the show at 1.30 today, but we just pulled it up a couple of hours early because there were some things that um, – some some things that popped up that needed to be taken care of. So when you click in at one thirty, you're like, wait a minute, sounds like this show is out. Yeah, it has. Forgive us. And and I'll be doing a show next week, and I believe on the 11th, a couple of weeks from now, I'll have Christopher Everett back on, and we'll be talking about Wilmington, North Carolina. You know, the name of his film is Wilmington on Fire. And it has been definitely getting screened all across the country. You know, I'm proud of what he did and the story that, you know, he brought out. And um, it's been some wonderful development. So I'm looking forward to having him on the show. But, um, guys, all black women matter. Doesn't matter if they're a drug addict. Doesn't matter if they're a sex worker. Doesn't matter if they're poor. Doesn't matter if they got 15 babies. It does not fucking matter. Black women are valuable. You know, and things that, you know, I read an article yesterday talking about the things that black women and girls do not hear enough. You know, you matter to me. We don't hear that enough, if ever. You're beautiful. You know, um, you're intelligent. You know, you have a lot to live for. You know, just, you know, just positive affirmations. Because when you have the media, as well as people in your community, telling you that, you know, you are everything that you have been stereotyped into being, you know, you're that and more, that you're less than, that you're subhuman. And I call bullshit on all of this. You know, and, you know, I was, I speak several languages, right? And so when I talk to people, especially about the romance languages, and, you know, especially, yeah, the romance language, so you got Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, everything that's negative is female. And I want you to think about that, especially for those of you that speak Spanish and French as well as um, Italian. Everything negative is female. Why is that? Even when you go into the church, everything, you know, pretty much everything that's kind of negative in the Bible is tied to a woman. Either she did it or she influenced it. You know, if you go into some of these churches, whereas you have these grown-ass men running behind these young girls, they they want to say that the young girls were fast or that the young girls seduced them. How can a 12-year-old seduce a 50-year-old? You're just a fucking pedophile. You know, and so they make all these excuses up for each other while all the while victim, re-victimizing the victim. You know, black women are not allowed to be the victims. Never. And when we are, we are shamed into silence. We are shamed into invisibility. You know, 
And it's hard. It's hard trying to be a black woman out here, make it, love yourself. And that's one of the problems, you know, that I'm seeing out here. Too many of us are not loving ourselves. But then that takes us even deeper down the rabbit hole. Do we even know what fucking love is? What is it? When you are truly being loved, you know, how does that feel? Who defines love? What is love? You know, some people view sex as love. Some people view, you know, intimate partner violence as love. You have all these different definitions out here. Now, those are not my definitions, so I don't want nobody, you know, emailing or on my wall saying, how can you say intimate partner violence is love? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is some people see that as love. I don't. And so, you know, when I was having a conversation with a few people, a number of occasions, like I said, the past three, four weeks have been quite interesting in my life. And, um, you know, we're talking about being liberated and being free as black people and most importantly as, you know, black women or women of color, you know, what is freedom? What does it feel like? What does it entail? What does it taste like? What is it? Will we know it when we get it? How will we feel? Will we know how to feel? Will we know how to act? You know, and these are just some of the things that go through my mind, and I sit there and I think about it, and sometimes I, you know, kind of laugh to myself. You know, because we all have different definitions, different perceptions, different viewpoints as to what it is to be liberated, what it is to be free. You know, what is black girl magic? What is black woman magic? You know, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, and when you're living it and you get kind of caught in, in the crosshairs of, you know, what's going on out here. It's like a roller coaster. One minute you're up high, wait, and now next thing you know, you're doing 100 miles an hour downhill with no brakes, you know, and and there's an 18-wheeler right there, and you see it. What do you do? You know, that's life for some people. And... You know, people are just trying to live their lives. People are trying to feed their children, pay their rent, you know, have some semblance of happiness. You know, but the thing is, is that, you know, one of the hard parts of being a black woman or even a black girl is it seems as though the responsibility of everything in our communities, if it goes wrong, it's our fault. When they want things to go right, then they go find us, put us up front. You know, they need for us to put our money in to, to, to you know, have this movement go forth, you know, or to keep that church afloat or to keep people's lifestyles. You know, and, and there were some articles and it was talking about how black women and girls are the mules of society, and that's true. We're supposed to bear and carry that burden. 
and and be responsible for everything and everybody else. And I call bullshit on that too, especially when the majority of the people that you're carrying this burden for, that you're trying to help when they don't give a shit about you. You're convenient. They're loyal to your convenience. They're loyal to what you can do for them. But when it boils down to it, you know, if you can no longer do what they want or need you to do, you are expendable and they will toss you in the trash like a damn snotty piece of tissue. And it's unfortunate. And when I see black women doing this to other black women and trying to justify it, that's the shit that pisses me off. And you all know I made up a word, patriarchy, and really it's okay patriarchy because it's like patriarchy is bad until they need to use it to fulfill some type of goal or to get something that they want. Then it's okay patriarchy. The O is silent and invisible. Patriarchy. Because if you leave the O there, then, you know, anyway, it's just it's a hot damn mess you know, what we have to live under. And then people want to, you know, they want to know, why are you so angry? And let me tell you something, black women, it's okay to be angry. It's a whole bunch of shit to be angry about. Anger is an emotion, and and it's okay to have emotions, you know. And then you have a lot of men, and this is what gets me, especially with some black men. They want to say they're coming from reason. They're coming from facts, and black women are being emotional. That's not true. Black men are extremely emotional. They just show it differently. You know, and what's interesting is that they use those same negative tropes and, you know, narratives on black women that white people use on them. And you have black women using these same negative tropes and narratives on other black women. And it's horrible, absolutely horrible, because it's like at the end of the day, you know what they say, the only people that are really important, white women and black men, you know, and it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. Very much so mind-boggling because, you know, the expectations that are put on black women and girls, I'm so shocked that we haven't collapsed, you know, a long time ago. And we struggle. We struggle to make it another day. We struggle to get up and to go to these jobs that are only paying eight, nine dollars an hour. You know, not you know, it's not a living wage, you know, and, and it's like twelve of you all in a two bedroom apartment and everybody's getting on each other's nerves because, you know, when the bottom fell out of the economy, you know, you had to take in some relatives because you didn't want them to be homeless and you're trying to feed each other. You know, let's not even talk about your children and the school fees that have gone up. And, you know, you can barely afford your kids' school supplies. That's why you look out for the, you know, the um, giveaways. and It's hard. It's hard. It's hard being a black person you know, trying to live from day to day. And it's particularly hard for black women. And I couldn't even begin to imagine, you know, the pressure and the weight that black trans women are living under. I salute you. 
because I see. And, you know, my heart hurts for you. You know, you got people killing you left and right. And nobody's really investigating it. You have black men out here trying to justify why, you know, trans women are being killed. There is no justification for it. Her life is as valuable as any other life, period. And, you know, all of this is happening, and we're supposed to be out here, you know, smiling and dancing and shuffling away, you know, making it seem like life is, you know, fun, life is high, life is, you know, wonderful. When many of us are just fucking dead on the inside. Feel like a goddamn zombie, just numb. And you know it's bad when you don't know when to cry anymore. Or better yet, you know your tear ducts have dried up. And you can't even fucking produce tears. What kind of shit is this? But yet, we're still expected to go out there to be the life of the party. We're expected to bring the damn potato salad and pound cake. You know, we're expected to do all of this. And the minute anything goes wrong, it's all our fault too. All of the responsibility, all the accountability falls on us for the most part. And we need to call that shit out, and we need to stop it. Because it's not right. It's not fair. And to be honest with you, I don't know how we've made it throughout these generations. And that's another stereotype that we need to put down, the strong black woman. Honey, it's okay to cry. It really is. You know, and don't allow anyone to put that burden on you that you're supposed to be the strong one, that you're supposed to be the one that always has it together. That's one of the reasons why many of our relationships don't work, for the simple fact that, you know, you're expected to be all of these things. But when you have a moment and you want to cry and you want to show some weakness and some vulnerability, and then you're victimized for that, And you don't even really get the luxury of being, you know, the victim, if you will. You don't have time to sit down and to cry. You don't have time to sit down to write a list of pros and cons. You don't have the time to take a day off from work. You know, in America, people are afraid to take their sick time from work. They're afraid to take their fucking vacation days, all of that. Why? Because you're fucking expendable, that's why. And even in your own households, you know, you're being treated the same way. So anyway, you know, I can do several more shows on this. And this is not the last time I'm going to talk about, you know, all black women mattering. You know, but yeah, I definitely want you guys to go up, look up toxic masculinity. I also want you to look up hyper masculinity. And while you're at it, look up hypersexuality too. Um, you know, that right there should um be some nice lessons for you to learn. And I want you to think about what has happened to Leslie Jones. And it hasn't just been Leslie Jones, there have been a number of, you know, black women that have been attacked just like her. You know, 
and it was wrong. You know, and you have a lot of racist trolls that are out there that, you know, that are attacking, you know, people of color, you know, especially women of color. And one of the main reasons why is because they know that women of color, particularly black women, are not protected. And when we are protected, it's because we're protected by each other. You know, and um, what's so interesting, you know, um, talking to, you know, a friend earlier this week, and I was talking about racism, you know, in America in particular. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I said to, you know, this friend. I believe that all white people are racist. Period. Now, and and that's why I got well-meaning racist question mark. And really, there's no such thing as a well-meaning racist. A racist is a racist. However, in some respect, for some people, it, the racism that has been, you know, embedded in them, that's innate, comes from this culture, you know, from the media, you know, the history or the lack thereof in school and, you know, the stereotypes and the things that they've been fed and that they were forced to believe. And so, you know, so when I say that I think all white people are racist, you know, I'm not saying that all white people are burning crosses on people's lawns. You know, I'm not saying all white people are out here lynching people of color. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is is that with the communications and with the media and educational system in this country, you have been fed a lot of bias, and you had no reason to not believe it or to not question it. And so what's happening now is, you know, a lot of deconstructing, a lot of dismantling, a lot of unlearning is taking place. So, I mean, I don't want you to get offended and to, you know, take what I'm saying the wrong way because, you know, there are a lot of whites out here that are trying to deprogram themselves from what they have been programmed to believe. And that's what I mean when I say that I think all whites are racist in one respect or another. But many of them are putting forth, you know, a concerted effort to, you know, basically deprogram themselves and understand why this is biased. And, you know, what's interesting, because I know some people get upset and angry with me because I'm constantly pulling a rug from under-progressive liberal white people. But, see, this is the thing. Many of you progressive liberal whites, you're so busy out here trying to prove to us that you're not racist, that you're not biased, that you end up showing even more bias while trying to (laughs) convince us that you're not biased. And then you sit there and we're looking at you like you've lost your mind. And then when it finally clicks to you, you know, and it's just, it's really interesting. You know, and I had someone ask me about this thing that's going on between Clinton and Trump, and they're both racist. Let's just call it for what it is. They both are. And there is no hierarchy to racism. Racism is just racism. And they both need to check their bias. And so, you know, again, conversations like that, 
you know, I pretty much refuse to have them in public anymore. And even in private conversations, you know, I've shut down a number of conversations because I'm tired of talking about it, you know. And I don't mind talking about it on the show because that's what we do, you know, and we're trying to put things in the historical context, the correct context, because, you know, you have a lot of black people and white people and brown, yellow, red, that are walking around and do not know the history. And what we do know, we were force-fed in school and through the media for the most part. And so it's a lot of unlearning, a lot of deprogramming, a lot of dismantling and deconstructing that needs to take place. And, you know, I'm hopeful that we present enough materials on this show to pique your interest to want to go out and research these things. You know, and, um, you know, getting back to what I was saying earlier about the magical Negroes, you know, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because people want to see us as subhuman. You know, they want to play into that myth of black inferiority, the myth of black criminality, you know, and, and kind of tethering that to today's show the myth of police protection for black people, namely black women. That's a myth. They are not here to protect us. And I mean, in all honesty, the police are only here to protect wealthy white people, the wealthy. And so, yeah, guys, I want you to go out, do some research on the black misleadership class, and why poor and working class blacks are particularly expendable to them, okay? And, you know, the same thing for white people. I want you guys to go and look up working class whites and poor whites and their expendability. I mean, that article that Kevin Williamson wrote in the National Review earlier this year, that spelled it all out. And like I said, the same things that the white elite Republicans are telling working class and poor blacks, working class and poor whites, I mean, sorry, what they told the poor, the poor whites and working class whites, the working class and poor whites have been using that same narrative on black people, but now it's being used on them. And so they're over there confused. And I don't know why you're confused. They have always felt that way, and they have never necessarily hidden it. But what they did is that they used you as a pawn against people of color. And that's what's happening now. And that's why you always hear me talking about the hierarchy of whiteness and these Venn diagrams. You are an ethnic white. You are an honorary white person. But at the end of the day, you don't really matter to them either. And it seems as though some of you are waking up to that reality. So now what do we do? And, you know, I've given a couple of talks, and I've talked to, you know, majority white um, audiences in which, you know, I stated emphatically that they need to be out here, you know, not only protesting for black lives, but they need to be protesting for white lives, Latino lives, indigenous lives, Asian lives, 
all of that, you know, and I've used several examples as to how, you know, black organizers and activists, not just BLM, but a number of other groups have gone out, set up protests in regards to, you know, a white person being killed by state violence. And it'll be one or two white people out there, and that's usually their cousin and, you know, an uncle or somebody, and maybe a friend or two. But it's us, and we're up here protesting for everybody. But yet some of these same people, you know, and, you know, the best example I can give you is the Tea Party and the Tea Partiers. You know, when they initially came out, they were talking about jobs for white men. And so apparently someone has kind of, you know, given them some lessons and polished them up around the edges a little bit. They're still a little rough around the edges, but, you know, they've kind of cleaned up their language. So you all know about the coded language, you know, the dog whistles, the triggers and all of that, and that's still happening. And this is why, you know, we're encouraging you to be critical thinkers. We're encouraging you to think outside of the box. We're encouraging you, you know, hell, at this point, I just want everybody to breathe. Breathe. Take a deep breath. You know, they keep us so tied up and running in so many different damn directions that, you know, we forget to breathe. Hell, we forget to eat. We forget to drink anything, and by the time we get, you know, close to the finish line, if not the finish line, we're worn out. Half the time we can't even cross it because we pass out, you know, from fatigue, you know, from hurt, from pain, you know. And it doesn't help when you have people in your own community who are the ones out there throwing the lasso and trying to hog tie your ass before you get to the finish line because they didn't want anyone to get to the finish line before them. And it happens. And it happens way too much. So anyway, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And one more again, we are here to challenge you. And you get out here. And you go on and you live your life. Enjoy yourself. Have some black love. Have some black joy. Some black laughs. You know, with your little brown sugar babies. You know, enjoy your life. Live it. Live it. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. You know, it's okay to enjoy yourself. Don't let anyone steal your joy. Don't allow anyone to suck the life right out of you. Don't do it. Don't give them that power. And, you know, like I said earlier, things that we don't hear enough of, you know, you are loved, are believed, you are cared for, you are worthy, all of those things and some. Now, I need for you to start loving yourself. And that's something that we all need to work on. 
and, you know, love on one another. So, guys, um, yeah, we're going to do a show next Sunday again, and we're going to have Christopher Everett on in a couple of weeks, so I wanted to make sure you guys were aware of that. I need to create the show information, but, you know, Black Afternoon, people, Black Afternoon, again, for those that are new to this show, welcome, thank you, it's a bunch of archives for you to enjoy, please do that, Um, you know, it's a privilege and an honor to be a part of your lives, thanks for tuning in. And this is Kimberly, yes, 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 from Black Free Thinkers. So you all have a good black afternoon and much love, much love. Like I said, you are loved, you are believed, you are wanted, you are worthy. You know, enjoy that black love, that black joy, that black peace, all of that, all of that. You deserve that and more. All right, babies, you all have a good rest of the day now. Take care.